Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Lone War Journal. This is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers all things in what used to be known as the global war on terror, but we now call the long war. And today, my friend and colleague, Joe Trusman, who is a research analyst for FDD's Long War Journal. Joe and I, we're going to do what we've been doing for the last month and a half plus, which is talk the war in Gaza and all things surrounding it. Joe, welcome back to Generation Jihad. You are our most frequented guest. Uh, you're a regular. <laughs> I appreciate it, Bill. Yeah, I cannot believe what you said a month and a half. Right. I'm still just like, wow pretty crazy to me. So, but yeah, always happy to be here and talk everything about what's happening in the war and everything related to it, of course. So yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. And it's crazy, man. And how thing, thing, how the perceptions change quickly in a month and a half, you know, in the first week, it was the horror of Hamas's attack, deadly attack where it invaded the uh, Southern uh, Israel from Gaza, kidnapped more than 250 people, murdered uh, I think the number now is over 1,200 Israelis. Right. Um, and how, you know, this went from quickly went from sympathy to Israel bad, uh, Palestinians oppressed within a week. Right. I mean, that, yeah. that's about right. How quick it took the turn, how quick, uh, Hamas and, and other, um, malign actors in the region turned the narrative uh, from Israel. Yeah. It was just so horrible. Like one of the worst things that's happened to Israel. I mean, what Hamas did and other Palestinian armed groups, what they did, previous Arab armies couldn't have done it, right? We could talk about previous wars against Israel by Syria and Egypt and so on, but it's a big deal. Within days, within a week, you know, that sympathy turned to, I guess, anger, you know, call it whatever, but got to remember, all this happened because Hamas initiated this war, right? It wasn't Israel that first struck Gaza, it was, it was Hamas, so... And the groups that are in Gaza, right, that are aligned with Hamas. So anyway, so yeah, it's it's quite strange. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, I think, uh, but um, that's the way it is right now. But well, we, can, of course, we can delve into that a little later. It was quite expected. We know that there's a clock starts running as soon as the Israelis, you know, go toe to toe with Hamas and company. And uh, it's it's just frustrating in this con covering this conflict. Uh, it's got to be, you know. You know, one thing I could say about Afghanistan, watching that all collapse, it was it was easy to predict. It was easy to judge the reaction. And, you know, you certainly didn't have a lot of people coming out and say, well, that's great because the Taliban are nice and they're freedom fighters. It was you really had to be a, on the jihadist end of the spectrum to, to take that view. But how to to watch how, you know, the Hamas ideology um, has penetrated the minds of, you know, Americans, uh, Westerners who really should know better is really, uh, it's really disgraceful. It's, it's just something that's horrific to watch. And, uh, it makes fighting these types of wars for the U S for Israel all, all the more difficult as we go forward. But, uh, so Joe, let's, let's jump right in. Let's, uh, get a quick sit rep on the, uh, fighting. First, we'll start in Gaza. Then you could turn to uh, what I'll call the North, right? The Lebanon and Syria. And I always forget, and I'm starting to not forget this anymore, is what's happening in the West Bank. I think they're the three fronts that Israel faces. One of them is really hot right now. That's obviously in Gaza, where Israeli forces have uh, segmented the northern half, half of the Gaza Strip. So tell us what's happening. 
Right. So, uh, it's like I've been saying the previous episode. So, Israel right now is concentrated on Hamas in Gaza. That is their focus, right? So, specifically the northern part of Gaza. So, uh, so then then they're they're moving moving south. So, especially in uh, Gaza City. All right. So, uh, and then over the last few days, they've uh, a lot of there's been a lot of reporting about uh, the hospital Shifa Hospital. And uh, and the Israelis is, uh, have also said this that Shifa, this hospital, is used by Hamas uh, as a as a command center or a base. And that's listen, this has been an open secret for a very long time. It's not doesn't just happen just now. Hamas has been using Shifa for oh, for, for many years. Okay, uh, you can go back to before the 2014 Gaza war. Um, there was talk about Shifa and how Hamas was using it so uh, as a base. So. Anyway, so yeah, so it's been a lot of talk about Shifa Hospital. The IDF has released, uh, I guess you'd say, video and infographics and, and also in statements about Shifa and that they found a tunnel uh, underneath it. They're still exploring it. They published video evidence of it, uh, so which was pretty interesting. Uh, some drone footage, uh, which is kind of cool, actually. They're using drones, small drones. Smart, yeah. I yeah, didn't consider that. Right, to scout. Uh, and I tweeted this before a few days ago. I tweeted this at the, the IDF was using drones to scout these tunnels because, you know, I mean, it's obvious, right, that Hamas is likely going to booby trap some of these tunnels. So they use these drones. They also use canines uh, and uh, to scout these tunnels just to make sure, you know, okay, let's see what's in there first. So anyways, that's what they did with uh, this tunnel that they found uh, under Shifa Hospital. The, the shaft, the opening of the tunnel was on in in the compound, in the Shifa Hospital compound, okay? It wasn't across the street. It wasn't a block away. It was all in, in there. So uh, it was out, just right outside the building there uh, of Shifa Hospital, So, but it's on the premises. So that's important to know. Uh, but there's still a lot. There, there, I imagine there's still a lot more to um, that, that the IDF has to uncover. Uh, and it's it's uh, we'll see. We'll see what they, what they publish. I expect they'll publish more. But... Um, other than the Shifa Hospital, well, Joe. Before yeah. we move on from yeah, yeah. there, we're on the hospital. Let's discuss yeah. that real quick. Of course, has that complex been fully explored and secured by the IDF, or do we think that's still ongoing? I think it's still ongoing. It's a it's a pretty large complex, a pretty large compound. So uh, I know a lot of from the reports that I've read that most uh, patients and doctors uh, and people and Palestinians that were uh, hiding there or uh, inside the the hospital. Uh, have left, have, have been evacuated. So to safer ground southward. So um, I don't think it's completely secured right now. Uh, however, that's the IDF is trying to do that. We got to remember too that while the IDF is in there um, investigating, uh, they're uh, they're still coming under fire from Hamas. All right, it's not like Hamas is like, oh, okay, we're just going to leave them alone now. Let them you know go through Shifa. So um, that's still yeah, so that that to me is evidence that it's not fully secured and. We've right. seen videos of Hamas fighters carrying in hostages. We've seen some evidence of weapons and, and go bags and equipment. Now, that's obviously not in itself evidence of a full-on command and control uh, um, center that's operating in the hospital, but clearly Hamas is using the hospital. Look, when the military enters a hospital, it should it should be disarming, um, bringing in, um, you know, bringing in patients, right? You don't. And one of the things that I actually saw was quite interesting from that from the video that I saw of the um, cameras in the hospital is that 
just how seamlessly the doctors and the medical staff were working with Hamas as well. Like it, it looked like this didn't look like something that, you know, was a one-time event. It looked like something that was an ongoing uh, relationship between the two. Any comments on all of that? Any of that, Joe? Yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, just looking at the video and and then everything that's previously happened with Shifa and previous conflicts rather, um, you can't, it's, it's just, Almost impossible for me to to think that the, if you worked at Shifa as, either as a nurse, a doctor, or whatever, they, that, that you didn't know Hamas operated there, or there were areas you just don't go to in the hospital, right? Uh, I'm sorry. So, and I'm not, I'm not trying to blame any the medical personnel at all here. I mean, they're, listen, they're, they're assuming they're neutral, right? They're in a difficult situation, right? right? I mean, right. But you know, you certainly see a lot of videos coming out where they're you know, just putting all the blame on, on the Israelis, you know, to generate yeah. anti-Israel coverage. So, you know, we don't see medical personnel stepping up after the hospital has been, you know, parts of the hospital have been cleared of Hamas saying, yeah, you know what they're actually doing, you know, this is what they've actually done. Well, and I, I do get it. They have to live there once the Israelis right. leave, but you know, it's, it's such a difficult situation, the coverage of, of this, the, propaganda that Hamas uses and, and others use against Israel in the case of hospitals and schools and, and others. And, um, yeah, just, it's a really difficult situation for the Israelis and who are under pressure from the international press to release information. Oh yeah. You know, now, 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 and more and more and yeah, more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, this is a battlefield, right? It's an ongoing situation. And, uh, you know, the, the, the IDF is going to, uh, publish, uh, information when they feel it's okay for them to do it right so uh i mean you got to remember too there's intelligence that's involved here so they're just i can't imagine what else they have there so um uh that that they're they want to publish but they can't because of you know operational security or intelligence matters or whatever right so um so and then as far as and then as the longer this war goes on right and then the farther they move south We'll start seeing more, a lot more evidence of Hamas and what they've been up to in Gaza and how they've used civilian infrastructure to basically shield their military operations. So um, I completely expect that. But yeah, it's been difficult for the IDF, but this is not new. This has not been difficult for Israel as far as the, the media, um, as far as, you know, international pressure, right, to to publish information. This isn't new. They've been, they've been going through this for many years. So yeah, absolutely a tough situation. Yeah, and the press often is seems all too willing to be, you know, gullible dupes for this. Um, look at the reporting that I believe the Haaretz, right, put out on uh -huh. the um the music festival that would happen, you know, when the Hamas came in, obviously they butchered the civilians, and then some unnamed sources came out and said the Israeli police that believe that the IDF helicopters were you know, gunned down a lot of the um, concert goers. And that sat out there for days, right? And then fi until finally a statement's issued, no such thing was said. The police didn't say that in the report. And it's just really, you know, Israel's always fighting an up uphill battle. Look, I, you know, we'll be the first to say they're not perfect in everything they do, the Israelis, but, you know, the press has an obligation to get it right at the end of the day. And they rush for stories. And I think mm -hmm. they're often very willing to be um, put in a situation where they're basically reproducing propaganda for Hamas and other terror groups.
Yeah, essentially. I mean, they're competing with social media where anyone can just, you know, type whatever and then uh, without really checking it and then, you know, get like a thousand or retweets or whatever you want to call it. Reposts now, I guess it's what it's called. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. And then the problem with uh, I keep seeing over and over and over again, all these years of covering this conflict between uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians, especially in Gaza, is that these news sites, these these organizations, for some reason, they keep um, trying to they could quote people in Gaza, but without the caveat of saying that, or, or at least noting that either that it's um, from a Hamas official or someone connected to Hamas, or um, that, that they just don't understand also that any, anything that almost everything that comes out of Gaza that's in form of media, um, Hamas controls. And I don't think they, these, these organizations really understand that. And um, so, yeah, so I've seen that a lot. And we saw it with the Al-Akhli uh, hospital bombing uh, some weeks back, right? It was initially blamed on Israel, but it ended up being a Islamic Jihad rocket uh, that was misfired and struck the hospital. So anyway, yeah, there's a huge problem when it comes to media in Gaza, and we're really seeing it now with this war. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. You know, I'll even, I'll say this, either they don't understand that the information coming out of uh, Gaza is tightly controlled by Hamas and other malign actors, or they do understand it and publish it anyway. I mean, if they don't understand by now, um, then I'm just, you know, I have a lot of questions about their ability to, you know, conduct effective journalism and honest journalism. So, you know, we all deserve better and they are professionals and they need to, they need to do their, their best and not just fall for this. But all right, well, enough on the hospital. Let's, let's move on. We could talk about this all day. Actually, just do devote an episode on that. Let's uh, tell us what's happening in North and what's happening on the, on the West Bank. Right. So in the North, much of the same, I think, uh, at least today, uh, there's been a little bit of an uptick in um, in attacks by Hezbollah on IDF positions. Uh, there was some, there's been some uh, publications by Hezbollah showing in the last days of drones being fired uh, against Israeli military positions and these um, heavy uh, rockets called uh, Burkan rockets um, that are that, that were targeted. An IDF base earlier today, and uh, that did some heavy damage. So it's a little bit of an escalation, but it's very—I almost see this as a very gradual escalation in the north. It's not like just like a bunch of rockets all at once one day, right? So uh, it just appears to me that Hezbollah isn't going away. And I know we're probably gonna, we're going to get into this later, but um, you know, with this ceasefire, you know, talks of a ceasefire coming up. I wonder if Hezbollah is going to abide by that, right? Will they also abide by a ceasefire between, you know, Israel and let's say the the Palestinians or the, and Hamas? I don't know. They may continue, but um, but that's besides the point. So conflict is still going on in the north. Still, a little bit of the same, much of the same stuff. A little bit of an escalation. The West Bank last week, um, again, a little bit more violence than usual. It's been two and a half years now. Violence has been ongoing there, but. Uh, a little more this, this last week, uh, Hamas, Islamic Jihad uh, have um, basically, well, rather the IDF has uh, gone into places like Janine and the Balata camp 
and uh, actually conducted uh, drone strikes uh, against uh, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigades uh, positions there. So that's a little that's notable. I mean, drone strikes aren't. Uh, I mean, they uh, they're not saying they're becoming routine in the West Bank, but there's more of them, and since like let's say July compared to to before. So uh, I think that's notable or something to mention. So, um, but it's not an open front right now. It hasn't like exploded, right? There's, there's not another front that's open. So that's good. Uh, again, Israel, like I was saying before, Israel is focused on Gaza, but managing the other fronts, right? It's managing Hezbollah. It's managing the West, the groups in the West Bank. It's managing the Houthis, which we can talk about after. And then some of the stuff that's coming from uh, Syria, as far as the rockets and drones. Yeah. Uh, what do you think Israel's, particularly with uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon, what do you think the red line is there for a for Israel to mm-hmm. really take it to the um, to Hezbollah and company? Right. Uh, so I've said it before, and I and I'm still stand I still stand by it that uh, at least for now uh, at this moment that the IDF is is in a defensive position in the north. So meaning that they they're only responding to an imminent threat. Uh, like let's say they they spot a uh, Hezbollah team uh, with guided uh, with uh, anti tank rockets or something that, that they're about to fire, they're going to preemptively thwart it, or they strike after Hezbollah has attacked a uh, you know positions uh, or uh, or cities or uh, cities or communities Israeli communities in the north. So um, it's just basically tit for tat. That's what I'm seeing right now. However, I think. Eventually, this Israelis the Israelis' patience is going to wear thin, okay? And Israeli officials have hinted that, all right? So, um, you know, if if Hezbollah strikes deeper into Israel, or if they hit uh, start hitting important targets or or uh, sensitive targets, I'd rather say, uh, we'll see the Israelis do the same. And we haven't uh, haven't seen any bombings in, let's say. Uh, IDF attacks like against the Hezbollah stronghold in in Beirut, for example. Right, we haven't seen that far any attacks that far north. But uh, you know, it's just a lot of this depends on what Hezbollah does. Right now, I don't think Israel is looking for uh, to open up a war in the north. But you never know. Israel may feel like, hey, this is the opportunity right now to take it, and we need to let's say destroy all of Hezbollah's. Uh, precision guided munition sites, right? Which has been a huge issue for many years that the Iranians are transferring these precision guided munitions and the technology to Hezbollah. So this may be a good time for, for Israel to strike. I, I mean, that may, that's just one assessment, but they may do that. I don't know. So um, that's basically, yeah, that's essentially what's going on in the North. It's just tit for tat right now. I think if Hezbollah were to stop firing today at this moment, I don't think the I, I think the Israelis would re- reciprocate, right? But uh, unfortunately, that hasn't happened. Yeah, I, I I concur. The Israelis would much rather that front die down and just maintain its focus on, you know, on the situation in Gaza for for, for sure. Um, the Israelis don't want a open a second front and possibly a third front as well. You had mentioned the ceasefire, the p- potential ceasefire. Um, over the weekend, there's been some reporting that there, and I've read various different iterations of this, but a couple of days of ceasefire in exchange for X number of hostages, dozens could be up to 50. Uh, again, there's over 250 hostages, I believe, that are still being held. 
Um, Joe, tell us more about this, uh, the, the prospects for a ceasefire. Where is it coming from? And what do you think? You think that this is uh, something that is possible? Yeah, I mean, we're hearing a lot of we're hearing a lot of reports about it. There's been denials from denials from Hamas and the Israeli officials that one is in place or a deal has been reached. So, but I do think all these reports do indicate that or suggest that something is in the works. I think something. I think it will happen, right? So, and it's yeah for X amount of hostages. Let's say a batch of hostages made up to fifty. Probably most are going to be women, children, maybe elderly people. Uh, in in return, they'll you know Hamas will get a, um, I guess you call it a respite, or you know there will be a cessation of act- military activity against Hamas. Uh, but you know the cynical part of me is think always thinks, okay, well I don't know Hamas would just give it up, give that up so easily, you know, because I just go back to previous um, you know prisoner swaps how. Have been so lopsided, and uh, Hamas is going to want a lot, all right, for for these hostages. I think so, and we haven't heard that number yet. Like, are we? Well, what is this, what is Israel also going to give up, other than uh, not firing at Hamas for a specific amount of days? You know, I mean, I'm sorry, but they're going to. I suspect, I suspect there's going to be um, also Palestinian prisoners. Uh, involved in this as well that are going to be swapped, but we just haven't heard anything about it yet. So uh, we'll we'll see. Um, but I mean, look, listen. The end game is that that Hamas wants as many pres- Palestinian prisoners out of Israeli jails as possible. This is why, uh, or one of the reasons why they even launched uh, this war. That's why they took uh, Israeli citizens or Israelis hostages and and soldiers hostages. As, as 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 a hostage rather um so we gotta so that's yeah i, I don't know i don't know what the number is going to be right but of, of a passing prison that's going to be transferred back to gaza uh in for for these hostages but i suspect the number is going to be very very high so um we just have to see what happens right so that's where that's where we're pretty much at right now there's nothing in agreement yet, but I suspect something will happen in the coming days or maybe weeks. Yeah, I think it's a massive mistake, particularly any type of prisoner exchange. The uh, Many of the leaders of Hamas were in Israeli prisons at, at one point in time and have been released. And they're some of the key leaders for Hamas. And I, you know, one of my concerns about this war is the Israelis are going to like, you know, fall back into old patterns and make the same mistakes. And do lopsided lopsided hostage exchanges is one of the mistakes that I identified years ago. I understand the desire to, you know, get your people back. I get that, um, and it's noble. But if it leads to the death and kidnapping of more of your people, which is basically what previous hostage releases, um, Joe, you could speak to to as good as well as any on some of these key commanders who are who were in Israeli custody and were released in prior um, negotiations. Um, oh, yeah. And you know the the what was his name? Uh, Gilad Halit. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're right. How many how many uh, uh, <laughs> Palestinians were freed? Was it a thousand? Uh, yeah, it was like a, oh, it's like around eleven hundred, just give or take a few dozen. But yeah, yeah. it was one guy. But yeah, and I don't mean guy. to mean to test you, Joe, but uh, 
Can you name a couple of the key leaders? Um, yeah, obviously there was Yahya Sinwar. Exactly. Was, <laughs> he's one of the biggest. I mean, it's just like, oh my God. That's why this, that's why he's so, um, uh, that's why he, he's really big on the Palestinian prisoners. Like he really, that's why I think that's one of the reasons why he, uh, launched this war, right. To, and abducted and try to get, uh, as many Israeli civilians or just civilians. Uh, abducted into to, to Gaza, so um, so yeah, it's uh, quite interesting. And but yeah, a lot of these these guys that uh, that were released in the Gilad Shalit prisoner deal, prisoner swamp, um, they turned around and ended up uh, just going back to what they were doing before, right? Um, some of them were deported; they were sent to Gaza. Some were deported um, uh, to other countries. But uh, specifically with the ones in Gaza, they just went back to what they were doing. They went back to working for Hamas. And uh, in recent years, actually, I think uh, earlier this year, some of them, the, the Shin Bet, uh, the Israel Security Agency, they published statements saying that they thwarted uh, attacks in the West Bank that were orchestrated by, um, by members of Hamas that were released in the Gilad Shalit deal. So uh, I think that's um, that's interesting. So yeah, it comes. It's like a boomerang, right? It comes right back at you if you release these guys. So um, that's a that's a huge problem. I you know I just I don't know. It's 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 going to be a tough pill to swallow. That's for sure. If Israel releases prisoners, especially prisoners with blood on their hands, essentially, I don't know that's going to happen. But there's some pretty pretty high ranking guys in Israeli custody right now. That could probably be released, may be released in this in in a swap. I don't know, but it, it, you gotta understand too. Israel is under a, a lot of pressure, not only externally from allies, right? Because some of these allies, like the United States, have American uh, have some of their citizens in Hamas's custody, but also internally, Israel's you know uh, internally, Israel is the Israeli government is under a lot of pressure because most of the captives are well, they're Israelis, so. Um, these families want their uh, loved ones back, and that's completely understandable. But what, is, what price is Israel going to pay, right? For are they going to release two thousand, three thousand Palestinian prisoners? It's just that's just one question uh, out of many here, right? Uh, out of the problems, rather that Israel is facing, the government is facing right now. So yeah, they'd rather find the hostages than having to release, you know, thousands of Palestinian prisoners. So I'm. Um, it's just I don't think that's feasible to be quite honest with you right now. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Part of me wonders. You know, I don't know if polling or anything like that has been done to uh, to find out the answer to this. But I'd be curious to see it. Is what does the average Israeli think about this after they've witnessed these lopsided prisoner exchanges? If my family members or friends were killed in this recent attack, I'd be vehemently opposed to releasing a single member of Hamas for all 250 hostages that are in custody, given what happened. So I'm wondering if there could be pressure on the Israeli government from the other side of this equation, right? Where people have said enough of the prison, you know, these prisoners swap, let's just, you know, do our business. So it did, uh, again, I don't know the answer to that, um, but it's just something that certainly um, I find intriguing. So Joe, let's uh, take a look um, there over the weekend. Um, well, actually, let's uh, let's go back to last week on November fourteenth. The Houthis, which is an Iranian-backed militia, the Houthis, you know, formed on their own. They control half of Yemen, including the capital of Sanaa. 
Um, the Iranians basically co-opted them, um, uh, and they become a key proxy. Uh, it's a, it's basically the only Iranian proxy that possesses its own ballistic missiles, cruise missiles and things of that nature. So it has its own, you know, strategic weapons. So on November 14th, they issued a threat. They put out this poster where they threatened international shipping and, um, you know, basically said, you know, we, we will, we will attack your shipping. Two days later, this International Maritime Commission um, issued a warning for all uh, international ships traveling in the Red Sea and through the Bab al-Mandeb Strait, which is the, you know, the gap between or the strait between the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden, uh, about, I want to say somewhere around 10% of the shipping of the world shipping moves through this strait. Uh, they said, you know, Move, you know, be careful traveling, stay away from the coast, move through hastily, let us know where you are. So that was on uh, November 16th. They put out that warning. And then yesterday, um, three days after that warning is issued, the Houthis hijack a ship, uh, 25 people. It's, a, I believe it's a Japanese owned ship, the flag in the Bahamas. The Houthis are claiming it was an Israeli ship or Israeli owned. Um, what are some of the impacts of this, Joe? Um, the Houthis have been, you know, I think maybe some would say a surprising thorn in in the side of the Israelis and and the United States and the Western countries who want to keep that shipping open. Um, what are what, what do we have to look forward to? Um, do we think the Houthis are going to do do this more? Um, they certainly have done this in the past, so they have a history of doing this. It's a it's a legitimate threat, right? Yeah, the Houthis. Yeah, I'd, I'd say. Uh, I'm a little surprised by the Houthis. Like this, if I didn't expect them to be as uh, as major as a this is a significant actor in this uh, in this war. I thought it would just be mostly Hezbollah, Palestinian armed groups, and obviously Israel. So uh, it is interesting what they're doing. But um, yeah, you know, uh, we've had reports of drone attacks, um, ballistic missile attacks. And for the most part, at least from Yemen, uh, the Israelis have been able to thwart these attacks, right? They have their missile, the Israelis have the missile defense system, the arrow. Uh, They've been able to basically knock out these these drones and these ballistic missiles. So they're doing their job there. So, uh, but at the same time, the Houthis are kind of doing what, what we've seen before in this area in the Red Sea, where these ships will be hijacked or attacked, right, by either Iran or their proxies, especially, or, or their clients like the Houthis. So the way I see it right now is regarding the Houthis is that they're just, you know, just uh, going for the an easy target, right? So they, they're having difficulty actually scoring a hit on Israel, on, this, on the territory of Israel. They've made claims that they have already several times, but I haven't seen enough open source evidence to confirm that. Okay. So, so what they're doing is they are going after targets that are uh, just basically closer to them, right? Uh, in the Red Sea. And they're just like low hanging fruit. And that's just, the, I think, the best way to describe it. This ship that was, that they, they hijacked is actually, it's not Israeli. Uh, there weren't Israelis on the ship, right? Uh, it wasn't an Israeli military ship or anything like that. It was, it was owned 
uh, either fully or partially owned. I don't understand. Uh, I don't know the exact specifics, but of, of someone that is, uh, is an Israeli businessman. All right. So that's why they attacked it. They're saying it's an, so then the way they see it, it's, it's an Israeli ship. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so it's, but it's an easy target for them, right? Since they haven't been able to, again, they haven't been able to, uh, successfully attack Israel, actually hit something important or, or anything really in Israel. I think they, they sent a drone some weeks back and it actually hit, uh, hit Egypt. So, uh, near a lot, uh, uh, near the border area there between Israel and Egypt. So, uh, so anyway, so yeah, they're going after this low hanging fruit and they're making these threats. And of course, they 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 downed. Uh, we talked about this, I believe, uh, Bill. They downed an American drone, a MQ, uh, a Reaper drone. So, uh, so yeah. Um, and a lot of this is just propaganda too. They want they they want uh, the um, the Arab world to know, and the others in other members in the axis of resistance, the Iranian led axis of resistance, that they're fighting Israel on behalf of the Palestinian people. That's what the message that they're trying to convey, okay? That's what they're doing. That's what they've been doing for the past few weeks. And um, I don't know. I, I I think they'll continue doing it, right? Uh, and uh, continue to attack ships in the Red Sea. So we'll see. Well, I'm curious to, to see what the United States military will do uh, if they're going to send assets to the area or more assets to the area. Uh, to try to rebuff the the Houthis, I don't know. So we'll see. Maybe you know more about that, Bill. <laughs> no, you know. Look, one of the the implications is certainly insurance for these shipping is going to go up. The Houthis have it's a credible threat, right? They they made it. They hijacked the ship, even if they don't hijack it. Another um, shipping is going to you know that's just an added cost. And as far as the U.S. military response, Joe, I think we'll see as little as possible. Um, the Israelis aren't the only ones trying to keep a lid on a situation here. The U.S. has come under attack by the numerous uh, militias in both Iraq and Syria. Scores of attacks. I don't even know what the number is now. It was 56 last week at some point. That number has to be higher. I've heard there's even more attacks, some that haven't been reported. It could be 70. It could be 80. The U.S. responded with three strikes against two of the time, three of the times uh, empty storage facility. Um, facilities and one they struck a safe house used by militias and they may have killed six or seven people um in response to scores of attacks by these militias on u.s bases um i think the u.s wants to try and you know it's going to do as little as possible um you know it, it's going to take someone getting killed probably a u.s national a u.s flagged ship getting um hijacked or a ship being sunk something big or such a large quantity of ships being attacked or, or um, hijacked or sunk that the U.S. And, and I would add to that, not just the U.S., but Western countries or any of the countries that are concerned about keeping that uh, vital straight open, um, that there would only be a response, but it would have to be significant. Um, I don't know what you think of that, Joe. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's exactly it. I mean, we have... Um... We've seen how the U the U S has responded to strikes against its troops or um, uh, in Iraq and Syria, and um, it's been lackluster, right? So uh, maybe that they're they're trying to do what the Israelis are doing and managing the issue, but I don't think they're doing it effectively. So, uh, and the Israelis, from what I know and from what I've just reports and everything like that, the Israelis haven't really, at least overtly, responded to the Houthi, Houthi attacks. 
there's been several already over the last few weeks. Some of them can significant. If some of these ballistic missiles had gone through, right, and, and uh, pierced this missile defense system, uh, if the Israelis have, and let's say, hit you know an area in, in southern Israel and in, in a lot specifically, uh, there could have been major, major damage that really could have changed the face of the war. Um, so thankfully, that didn't happen. But still, um, yeah, I don't see that the Israelis haven't really responded to the Houthis either. So. Again, goes back to managing the conflict. Uh, they just the Israelis just want to concentrate on Gaza, and obviously, it, it at least appears to me that the Americans, as far as what's happening in Iraq and Syria, uh, they're also trying to manage it as well without getting without putting too much effort into it. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point about Israel not responding, and you know, I I, I kind of look at it differently. Um, in the case of Israelis, they got their hands full. They're looking at a, you know, not opening another front, so to speak. Um, like you said, you know, the front with uh, Hezbollah is, you know, it's simmering or slow boil, low boil, if you if you would. You know, the West Bank, that's something they want to keep. The, the Israelis don't need another real problem. I suspect it would take a major, you know, one of these missiles getting through and actually, you know, killing a, a number of civilians before the Israelis would uh, be uh, forced to strike. At at the Yemenis and uh, I'm sorry at the at the Houthis uh, and even so, boy, that that'd be a long reach for Israel to in order to uh, conduct that attack as as well. So there's a you know I I kind of I do get the Israeli reluctance to um, not take on the Houthis. You know I think in isolation, if this was just out of the blue, the Israelis would have responded as they um, you know they're generally pretty forceful but they, they have a lot in their hands right now so yeah so look i'm gonna let's turn to the last thing really quick the united states uh on on friday issued a designation uh actually several designations for a group known as katab Sayyid al-shahada this is an iranian proxy militia in iraq it was established in 2013 um, uh, off of what was Hezbollah brigades, it still is Hezbollah brigades still exist. Um, it's a very dangerous one of the um, to to me one of the most dangerous uh, militias. Uh, I know when we had Benham on Joe that he 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 thought that this was one of the the most important ones. Uh, I, I agree with him. I still think Hezbollah brigades and Asibel Haq have uh, have a lot of pull as well. Um, but not just that, but their secretary general was listed as a specially designated global terrorist. And then five members of the, um, Hezbollah brigades or five commanders or leaders, however you want to describe them. They were also listed as a specially designated global terrorist. And then the U.S. Um, also issued a designation for a member of Iran's Islamic Revo Revolutionary Guard Corps. Um, he was also added as a specially designated global terrorist. This is nothing new. The U.S. has been listing IRGC terrorists um, along with designations of Shia terrorists for years now. I could track that back all the way to 2005 when Abu Mahdi al-Mahandis was described as a advisor to then Quds Force leader Qasem Soleimani. Anyway, um, we're we're not going to discuss this. Uh, it's just this is more. I like these designations. They gen generally don't have much of an effect, but what they do is sort of put to paper, make official what people like Joe and I already know, which is that there's a lot of malign actors out there, many of them who are working with Iran and these designations um, help connect the dots and make the links between the groups. So 
Joe and I wrote about this at Long Word Journal. Uh, we recommend you go on over there and give it a read. Um, and I, you know, Joe, I do expect there to be more designations like this as time goes on. It's kind of a shame. It's frustrating. What my experience is a lot of these designations are in the process and they get um, released at times like these when it becomes important. It's a shame that they're just not issued when they're ready to be released um, because it'd be nice to have this information out there beforehand and it wasn't being viewed as being reactionary. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that's what, what happens a lot of times too. So I think just like you're saying, I think there will be more sanctions against um you know individuals or entities uh in the coming weeks especially as this war drags on i mean in the last few weeks we've seen um the united states designate uh members of hamas uh and islamic jihad so which is good good news um should have been done a long time ago (laughs) and there's and i know i know that there are more entities uh, that are that should be designated okay just from open source evidence i think they've reached the criteria to be uh to to um to be designated right uh, uh so and, and other groups that even that some groups that that participated palestinian armed groups that participated in the october 7th attack inside israel some of these groups uh specifically the popular resistance committees they um they aren't designated as a let's say as a foreign terrorist organization okay uh which i think they've reached that criteria a long time ago i mean you look at their flag it's like a carbon copy of hezbollah's flag okay so um which is a carbon copy of the irgc exactly so that tells you a lot i mean just just looking at the flag (laughs) tells you a lot about the group already um and yeah i mean they've um they've launched attacks against israel israelis and american citizens um they uh, from in gaza i'm sorry in the american citizens and israelis living uh, in southern israel um they've done all sorts of things that and it's um it's pretty surprising to be honest with you that they haven't been uh they haven't been designated so i am anticipating that if there is a time to do it it will happen fully now or you know within the next few months i don't know there's certainly plenty of open source evidence to that um you know that the treasury can look at right or ofac can look at so we'll see but i think we'll still we'll see more of these these sanctions coming down um but just yeah it's just like well why do you wait until all hell breaks loose to do it like that evidence has always been there right i understand if it's like a new group nobody's ever heard of and now you know, and now the evidence is coming out, but, but uh, these guys, all these guys that they've been, they've been sanctioned. Yeah. We've known about at least people that follow it closely, the subject closely, we've known about these people for a long time, but yeah, they just waited till now to do it. Yeah. I mean, Katif said, oh, Shahada, right? Like this is led by a guy named Mustafa, Abu Mustafa al-Shabani, who is a specially designated global terrorist and, you know, involved in creating all of these militias and they finally got his own group and you know it's it should have been done four years ago right and it is you know it is look it is what it is i don't want to be critical of the state and treasury departments for for doing this and there's a lot of reasons why these designations take time it's just when you read these designations you can see that a lot of the concern is the current attacks against u.s forces in iraq and syria 
But the reality is, is these groups have been doing this, these types of attacks against U.S. forces for quite some time. It, it isn't this just just didn't emerge out of the ether in the last couple of weeks. Um, but again, I am thankful that they, they finally hit the list. It, it certainly helps us track these groups more closely and, and make the authoritative case that, of what we all know, that they're Iranian proxies and terrorist organizations that are targeting our interests. Joe, thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'll be back on soon, probably in two days, to talk more Gaza. I appreciate it, Bill. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Joe, always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, follow us, subscribe to us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and others. Give us a review, positive, but only if we earned it. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll be back on real soon 